0: This is On The Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients that being said this podcast is not medical advice if you are looking for legitimate medical advice seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider now on to the show welcome back to another episode of on the fence physio your favorite podcast for all those hard questions in the gray issues of physical therapy My name is Andy Wiseman, your host, joined by my gregarious, good-looking, and glamorous co-host, Matthew Owens. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing wonderful tonight, Andy. How are you doing?
0: Oh, great. This is like PT after hours. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but we are recording late at night. So things might get a little bit slap-happy here. Our episode for tonight is our... December discussion question. Our December dis- discussion question was PT discharge. When does PT end? <laughs> for some people, I, they, they looked into, does PT ever end?
1: <laughs>
0: Sometimes it feel like it doesn't. Who decides when it ends? And we asked for everybody's uh, thoughts and to share, you know, like from different settings, you know, different roles, you know, what does discharge look like? How do you make these decisions? I've had students they ask, like, oh, how do you know when it's ready to discharge? You know, when are we going to discharge so-and-so? When are, how do we know when they're done? You know, like, what are, what are the signs? So we wanted to talk about those things. How do you think we did?
1: I think we had some really good discussion this month. Um, we had a good engagement on our Twitter post. Um, and I learned that I was right that, you know, I'm never discharging my patients. I'm keeping them as long as possible.
0: you know as far as a business model probably a good idea um, ethics and morality around that we'll discuss later so we wanted to talk about first um kind of defining our role in discharge so obviously Matthew and I are both physical therapists we both work in outpatient orthopedics and uh what is what is what does your role look like in the typical care that you're providing and how what discharges what discharges kind of look like in your clinic? What are you know what are the things that you try to provide to on the discharge you know to get to discharge and what does discharge look like in general?
1: In general, for me, discharge looks like the patient meeting the goals that they um, have established with me for care, and part of those decisions are uh, collaborative between the two of us them giving their goals what they're trying to get back to doing and me offering my expertise and training in ways to get there and trying to make sure that when they're discharged that they can independently um, continue on in um, the activities that they want and that they feel good about where they are that's the hope on the other side of things I can also discharge patients or we can end treatment if we don't think or believe that physical therapy is addressing their problems and that they need other medical intervention. How about you, Andy? What does discharge look like in your clinic?
0: Well, that's the thing is that it, com- it completely changes um, based on the situation. So we need to talk about a lot more things you know discharge looks so different based on different people so one of the things that you kind of touched on it was touched on in um several of our responses was that you know aligning you know what are the patient's goals and doing that very early on in the plan of care Uh, i really believe in this i believe that that is a great way to establish first of all the direction of your plan of care because if you don't have what the end looks like on the very first day like how do you know where you're going you need to have a destination in mind but yes, also having that end in, um, in writing, put your goals down on paper so that you kind of know what would be a good benchmark to say, when is therapy over? However, I do not look at those goals and say, I need to reach all of these goals for a patient to be done with formal in clinic or formal, you know, like on my caseload, you know, physical therapy. Because in my mind, I don't need to get them all the way. There. I don't need to hold their hand all the way to that point I just need to get them the tools they need in order to get there. I need to get them started on that journey. I need to be the the roadmap, the guide that helps them understand the healthcare model, all the services that they need, because we are primary care providers in a way, right? We need to be able to refer to appropriate providers as well. And then to also, you know, teach them things to make them more independent with managing their own conditions. Because I don't feel like if I just do it all for them, that once they finally discharge that they're gonna be able to keep doing it on their own. And then they're just gonna come back, which again, you know, from a business model would be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, six months of them gone, they come back to the same problem and you get to work through it all again, get you know, eight, ten more visits in, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think what you just touched on too was something that at Uber PT tweeted, um, mm-hmm. back to our a discussion thread that discharge planning starts at the eval.
0: Right. Um, and then, you know, like we were saying, we were kind of talking, to like, you know, r- the role of the physical therapist in the discharge is that sometimes there are these different hats that people wear um, outside of being a physical therapist. These are the people who um maybe dabble into personal training that dabble into nutrition and health science that dabble into some of these other you know very other allied health fields and these can be very helpful services when people are trying to make the transition from hey i've just completed a formal physical therapy bout of care and now i'm trying to transition to long healthy lifestyle There is a gap there sometimes. And I think physical therapists who have that training can help with that transition. So the discharge time is a very important time for making that transition. How do you end physical therapy plan of care and then move into healthy lifestyle to maintain any changes that were made, to continue to progress? Um, So if you have have that training, you're a physical therapist, great. If you don't, what should you do? (laughs)
1: That's right. Refer to the appropriate provider. Work as a healthcare team, and I think it's something that can be difficult. But as I'm a physical a,
0: therapist, I know all about exercise. I can totally give ex. I can get the same level of expertise a personal trainer can. Matt.
1: Yeah, probably not, Andy. I know your exercise <laughs> prescription, but no. The the issue being, it's sometimes it's hard to not want to do everything for our patients you know we're like oh i can do hey, this i can do that i, I can eat, do it everything and
0: i definitely feel healthy when i eat so i therefore can give nutritional advice for sure
1: for i sure. know that
0: if you uh you uh lick uh ground mustard that'll prevent your muscle cramps
1: that yes and then sleeping with <laughs> rock salts in your sheets that'll cure your rock cold salts. or
0: something <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> yeah so man. no i think it's good to uh wisdom, stay Stay in your lane and use other people who have worked hard at their given profession as resources for you and your patient. It can be difficult to you. do, I know. It can be difficult to say, I don't know.
0: Patients often ask you questions that are outside your scope of practice, they you get... outside your scope of expertise. I do. I mean, how many times a day do you get a patient asking, like, oh, should I be taking a leave? You know, like, I should. <laughs>
1: well, I don't really want to admit how how often patients ask me things I don't know, but you know I just make something up, <laughs> tell them I'm a doctor. It works make out
0: something up on the fly that's right. Yeah. It works out
1: good so if we're talking about our roles as a physical therapist and what we do with discharge, are there categories or um to use the classic McKenzie word buckets that you would place? Discharge
0: categories into. So I I do believe that there are several different models of care, and there have oh, they've been bandied about in a lot of different circles. Um, obviously, different patient populations require different models of care. You can't treat them all the same. Even though every doctor's prescription you get in outpatient ortho is two times a week for six weeks, we have to be a little bit more um, inventive than that. We have to be a little bit more. Uh, patient-centered than that, and patient-centered treatment is not just moving the treatment table into the middle of the clinic, it's uh, actually thinking about the patient needs. Now we've, in previous podcasts, in our PT dosage podcast, which is actually our first one, so if you really wanna hear (laughs) the infantile stage of this podcast, go back and listen to the first one. We talked about some of the patient-specific contextual factors to how much physical therapy we should recommend. Moving on. So talking about different <laughs> models in which we can view discharge, though. Um, I kind of broke it down into five, and these were ones that were kind of brought up in the discussion on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, some of the um, my own practice as well. And what Matt and I are going to do, we're going to do a little back and forth, a little volleying, um, per se, uh, tennis. You know, Matt, I used to date a girl who played tennis, but it didn't last very long. Do you know why?
1: Uh, you, f- you fell out of love somehow, it was, you know.
0: Because for her love meant nothing.
1: Oh, her love meant nothing. That's like, I knew there had to be a love pun in there somewhere.
0: <laughs> so um, the first one is a consultative model. So a consultative model is more of that patient coming in for that one visit, that one visit for evaluation and to kind of build their plan of care and to build a home program and self-management from the get-go they don't want to have to come back they want to get all the tools they need and sometimes patients will do this self-selectively they'll come in and say hey I just want to come in I want you to check this out and I want you to tell me what I need to do about it and I'm going to go do it and then if I can't fix it I'll I'll come back and if I can you'll never hear from me again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, sometimes it's even doctor-driven. Uh, I have, um, especially pandemic-wise, I've gotten some evaluate, you know—some um, referrals from physicians that are like, "Hey, I just want you to evaluate this patient and then give them a home program or do telehealth, but don't see them ever again <laughs> in person." Which, again, I'm—you know—totally fine with. You know, making these patient contextual decisions in um, in vivo. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend the cons- consultative model first. Yeah, and um, my 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 patient that would do well with the consultative model. Uh, a patient that do well with the consultative model is another healthcare provider. Other healthcare providers they have a lot of knowledge. They understand um, that a lot of these pathologies that we experience in outpatient orthopedics are have a natural history to them that they tend to get better. They're not overly concerned. These people aren't going to develop you know, as strong of a kinesophobia as someone who's a little bit more uncertain about tissue pathologies. So really, they're just looking for a little bit of advice, looking for a conversation, They're almost looking to confirm their own, you know, diagnosis that they've done. I um, had a physical therapist as a patient um, who had been working in a school setting for a while, was having some plantar fascia pain, wanted to come in, you know, because she couldn't get rid of it on her own and talk to me about it. We had one appointment. We talked about some of the factors, you know, that can lead to, you know, provoking her plantar fascia pain. We kind of worked through it, you know, kind of said like, oh, maybe we tease this out. Maybe if we test this, maybe we poke this, prod this. We came up with a little plan. She's like, all right, this sounds good. I'm going to go take care of this. She emailed me like a month later. I was like, yeah, feeling better. Done. Easy peasy. <laughs> I used uh <laughs> Great evidence there, by the way. Anecdotal evidence, Anecdotal greatest life. evidence. I used it, and it
1: totally works. It totally works. <laughs> no, I think the consulta- uh, consultative...
0: Consultative. Uh, consultative. consultative. You yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, that word. We need word. the
0: vocab section early. <laughs> we
1: do need the vocab <laughs> section early. We'll get to that here in a second. Um, we're almost there. Yeah, the self... Uh, that, that thing... Um, it can, It's one of my. It's my favorite, really. When a patient comes in and asks for that, because I feel like, oh yeah, they're motivated. They have good self-efficacy.
0: Ah. Self-efficacy. What is that, Matthew? That sounds like a fun term.
1: Yeah, so our vocabulary word for this Vocab
0: time with Professor Owens.
1: Is that self-efficacy is a personal judgment of, quote, how well one can execute courses of action required to deal with prospective situations. Or put another way, a belief in one's innate abilities um, to overcome obstacles that would interfere with achieving their goals. What are your thoughts on ah. self-efficacy, Andy?
0: Oh, I have lots of thoughts. But um, I think of a self-efficacy as a, you know, again, it's a spectrum. There are some people that have high self-efficacy in one area of their life, but maybe low self-efficacy in other parts of life. I don't think it's an inherent trait of a person. I think it has a lot to do with knowledge base and experience rather than any, um, personality quality. So when it comes to, you know, my own experience with knee pain and running, yeah, I have high self-efficacy there. I knew that it wasn't a big deal and I was able to solve through it on my own. But when it comes to, um, investing in mutual funds and, uh, (laughs) Uh, other stock option things, and figuring out a thrift savings plan and blended retirement plan and all these different economic things. I have no clue, and I don't have any self-efficacy. I you know, like I try a half-hearted Google search. I don't find anything. So what do I do? Oh, I go meet with a financial planner. financial planner is like you know able to help me with these things because they're an expert in it. I have low self-efficacy when it comes to, economic and financial planning decisions. Does that mean I'm a bad person?
1: It does not, Andy. You're okay. <laughs> so I would say the consultative <laughs> consultative model. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to see how many, ways, how many ways I can say that. a long bit. Wrong, yeah. Um, One more beer. There's sometimes I feel like people, patients, have overestimated their ability to deal with a problem. Their self-efficacy oh. <laughs> might be a little bit too high. Um, they walk in after False a stop massive rotator cuff repair, not allowed to move their shoulder on their own for six weeks and tell you, oh, I'm fine. I don't need therapy. Just take this sling off. Look, I can raise my <laughs> arm up like this. I'm fine. And you have oh, to go like... that's so true. I say, oh. that's, that's uh. one where even I feel like And you can tell me if you disagree, that's fine. But I feel like even if they were just coming in for me to tell them, like, hey, probably just hold yourself back a little bit. If that's all I'm doing, if I'm not even progressing, if I'm holding them back, I might be doing a service for their long-term health uh, in in the outcomes of that shoulder surgery.
0: Yeah, because they obviously don't understand all of the nuances of post-op care, some of the things that they should or should not be doing. And they would need maybe a little bit more monitoring, um, skilled monitoring, you know, because you're actually watching these things, treating these things and providing education throughout the way. Yeah, you don't want to try to take away their self efficacy, but sometimes um if your self efficacy is false, like if you don't if you feel like you know the right things to do, the right way to overcome these obstacles, but you don't actually know, that could be a problem. I, I definitely agree. So that would be that would be the patient where the uh consultative model does not work well. I like that one. No, I don't have any I don't have any arguments against it. All
1: right, so what's our okay. next category?
0: Next category is um well, third-party people making a decision. So third-party, um, obviously, a lot of our American listeners are going to think, like, insurance first. But I mean third-party is just anybody else outside of you and the patient, okay? So if the doctor says, hey, I want you to stop PT for a while, or if, you know, the patient's uh, employer says, oh, yeah, you're done with PT now, you need to come back to work, or the... um You know that's or the insurance is saying like, oh yeah, you're not making progress or you've made too much progress or not enough progress and we're done paying for it. (laughs) Uh, All these ways, you know, that you can be told by somebody else that PT's done, right? Um, Matt, when when can that be a good thing?
1: So I think it can be a good thing, and I have to really, you know, put on my devil's advocate hat here. But thinking about a lot of managed care that we have an outpatient where you have a third party that's reviewing chart notes, patient progress, how people are doing. If you look at the general number of visits that they are allowing, that they are authorizing, they are picking these numbers based on our research as to how long something typically takes to get better. If it does get better or if it won't get better, if it will get better. Um, so while, We might not like it being told like, okay, this patient shouldn't take more than 12 visits to improve based on the data. I think that having those types of restraints on um, physical therapy and how much we treat can help to curtail wasteful um, use of our services.
0: Oh, we don't have medical waste in the US though, right? We have one of the most affordable healthcare systems in the world.
1: That's right, no waste, no fraud.
0: <laughs> How thick do you have to lay on the sarcasm, right? Man, That's I don't right. want to be a, all anti-USA, but man, USA has been kind of letting me down as of late. <laughs> Won't get too political, guys, but man, USA not crushing it in a lot of categories <laughs> recently. Healthcare definitely not one. And yes, Having a third party telling you, "Hey, you know, like basically you should be getting done at about this time frame, and if you're not, you know like
1: yep. or I've it's, seen is
0: good because it keep, tries to keep you a little more honest. yeah, know? I think an I, anecdotal, I, I support that.
1: Yeah, an anecdotal um, point to that would be uh, I've seen with total hip replacements, for example, have a surgeon who is really good about when patients come back, they're doing well walking well, have good strength, good motion, good ADLs, they might have a few appointments still left in physical therapy, but if they're doing well, yeah, you should be done. Um, And I think sometimes it can be hard for the, sometimes it can be hard for the patient to say they want to be done, and it can be hard for the physical therapist, either because they know there's other things they can continue to work on, or because, oh no, if I cancel these last three appointments, my... Manager is not going to like my appointment frequency, and I told him they could leave. Um, <laughs> that is other something, finance. you know. Yeah, yeah, other financial things. I think it's good when the surgeon looks at the patient says, "Yeah, you look good. Everything's great. Don't go back to physical therapy."
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. No, you've you've made two good points. All right. I want to talk about when third party decision making can be bad. Okay, and um, I think that it can be bad when third party payers don't consider some of the high variability of people with the same condition. So a lot of these things get billed under a same ICD-10 code, but they could be completely different presentations. And I think we've made progress in this field by changing our evaluation complexity codes, you know, well, not that recently, but since I've been out of school. So I feel like that's a step in the right direction, but I really don't know if, all third party payers really understand some of the variability and you know, not all the prognostic factors that can lead to a longer plan of care or a shorter plan of care. Um, anecdotally, I treated an insurance adjuster. (laughs) I treated somebody who was actually one of the people sitting there with that rubber stamp saying physical therapy denied, physical therapy
1: approved,
0: um, with an acute onset of low back pain with unilateral radiculopathy. And, um, that was when I was I was younger and very, very hot for Mackenzie. Oh, loved me some McKenzie oh, at that yeah. time. <laughs> so we, we did some Mackenzie things, and boy, did she pop right back three visits in and was symptom-free, ready to be done. And I kid you not, direct quote from the patient was, wow, it only took me three visits to get better. I wonder why so many of these physical therapy cases I have to approve take so much
1: longer. <laughs> and you said because they're not seeing me they're not seeing me obviously
0: (laughs) yeah well i i probably had the bravado at that time to say that but uh i don't remember i don't recall my response but (laughs) i do remember that that patient saying that yeah (laughs) plead the fifth um so we do need to understand there's a, a strong amount of variability amongst these things um and then to your point about um Other healthcare providers that are making the decision, that can sometimes backfire too, um, especially when the narrative that you are providing your patient, the physical therapy can be beneficial, that can be helpful. And then you have uh, another healthcare provider with, you know, medical licensure, you know, like, some amount of therapeutic alliance with their patient says, no, physical therapy isn't going to be helping for you. Now you have two healthcare providers that are in, con- you know, conflicting with each other. Now that therapeutic alliance is going to get broken between the patient and somebody. And it might be the doctor. It might be the doctor said, hey, I, can- I came back to therapy because my doctor said physical therapy was no good. And obviously... Obviously it is, right? Or it could be the opposite. You know, it could be, man, my doctor told me that you've been kind of wasting my time. And I kind of wonder, how many copays have I paid you? You know, like, can I get a refund? You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, Dangerous. You know, when you have um, healthcare providers that aren't on the same page about things. You know, so I, you, know, you try to have good collaborative communication with these people whenever you can, um, not just our end reaching out, their end reaching out, you know, like every, everybody trying to collaborate together. I think that's a uh, key. So, third bucket. You know, Like buckets. Of, get buckets. Tallo. Buckets. <laughs> Young bloods don't oh know about no, getting buckets. Uncle Drew referenced anybody.
1: Yeah, he just got <laughs> he just yeah. got fined $50,000 and forfeited He's 800 like going
0: to a pool party, the, right?
1: Indoor indoor party, no mask. Yeah. Forfeited two them. game yeah, checks, which equals eight hundred thousand dollars and then got fined fifty thousand. So those young <laughs> bullets.
0: No, they don't know. It should be should be going to parties. Um our third bucket is kind of the uh reaching of goals, right? So patient sets goals, um, you set goals. Um Oh, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because we were, you know, we were talking about like, hey, you know, like on that first day, patients should be setting their goals and that's what you should be working towards. When a patient meets their goals and they're done with therapy, sounds good is, you know, like, but in my head, that's, again, anything that says like, oh, that's what we should do all the time. I think, well, what are the (laughs) (laughs) counterexamples? What are the times when that doesn't work? And I think the times that doesn't work is when. Patients don't know all the things they need to be able to do to have a good outcome. So the first person I think of when I think of that is a post-op ACL repair. Because a patient, you know, like an 18-year-old patient is going to tell me, hey, I want to have, make sure that my, um, you know, torque to body weight ratio of my knee extension is at least, you know, like 1.0 foot pounds per pound of body weight. Like, they're not going to say that. They're going to say, I'm going to play soccer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's play soccer, that's a good goal. I'm gonna put that one in the plan of care. I'm also gonna throw some other things in there. I'm gonna try to put in some limb symmetry indexes. I'm gonna try to put in some other you know, biomechanical things we can test, You know, maybe a Y balance test, star balance test. Maybe I'm gonna put in some hop testing. I know hop testing is not really popular, but the more tests you kind of throw at them, the better it tends to be in predicting what's the risk of second injury, right? So maybe the patient says like, oh, can you do anything to limit me from having another ACL tear? And that's when you can say, like, oh, I have a bunch of these tests, and if we do a lot of these tests, maybe we can say that your risk is lower than somebody else's. But not a lot of patients are going to say that, so should you just put the goals that the patient said, like, I just want to play soccer, and if they can go out and play a game of soccer, but they have a limb symmetry index of 50%, you know, like, oh, well, they're good. They're ready for discharge. Or do you try to set some goals of your own?
1: Yeah. What do you do, Andy?
0: I just said what I
1: did. <laughs> I thought it was a rhetorical question. Of course we're setting no. goals of our own. Uh, we're setting yes,
0: I love the sound of my own voice, but your sound, your your voice has gotten better too since I got you a new microphone. So got me a new
1: getting... microphone. Just wait till I put that filter on, the creamy vocal filter. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Yeah, no, I think patient goals are one thing, but we as providers can many times help educate patients on steps they need to um, fulfilled to meet those goals um, safely or maybe more efficiently um, than they thought possible.
0: All right. So I think that kind of hits that bucket, right? Is there are sometimes when patient reaching patient goals is good, good model to use to say when discharges, but there's also, we just kind of went through the example of there's also a time when it's not a good model because maybe we need other goals, you know, other benchmarks to meet.
1: Yeah, the other one I would so throw the fourth, in there really quick. Yeah is um, along the lines of pain a lot of times patients will come in and tell me I just want to be pain free or I don't want it to hurt when I do this and I think that reframing um, the patient's mindset outside of just pain driving factors but also function for me is one thing and I tell most of my patients that you know I can't guarantee that you're going to be pain free and if that was my discharge goal then having no pain I don't think that is a fair way of assessing when they need to be done with my care. Yeah,
0: love that. Um, do you have um, patient narratives? Do you have um, little bits that you do, like kind of like a, like a stand-up comedian has a set list? Do you have anything like that? Do you ever have you know things that you find yourself saying over and over, or do you customize it for everybody?
1: That's a good question. I would say I do a pretty good job of customization off the top of my head i'm sure there's things i have picked up i know there's things i've picked up from continuing education courses or other things that therapists have said and i'll you know use some same witty catchphrases and uh illustrations and things like that but nothing off the top of my head specifically to say discharge i guess or even pain and we don't want to get too far down that trail right now
0: oh my gosh I am the exact opposite. I have so many like pre-recorded bits that I do, and I think of them like a stand-up comedian thinks about like their set list. Is like I think like, hey, the more effective these these things that I'm trying to educate on will be more effective if I am quicker, if I am more confident, if it's more smooth, if it you know has the good timing, the good pacing, set up the punchline well, you know, like that's what's gonna be better. And like, I'm going to, it's going to also take me less mental effort because these are things that I've practiced, you know, and that's going to save my resources, you know, for the rest of the treatment day or the rest of the treatment week, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm not exhausted by it. So yes, um, people that have worked with me, you know, like start to pick up on some of my things and even start to mock me a little bit too, because they're like, they know where I'm going. When a patient says a certain things, they know which kind of little bit I'm going to transition into. So yes, when a patient gives me that goal, I just want to feel no pain. I have a bit that immediately comes to mind. And I said, okay, that seems like a reasonable goal. But what if I said, okay, we're going to get you to no pain whatsoever, but only when we're laying on this table right here, lights dimmed and quiet. Is that good enough? No, I don't think so. We want to find no pain, but we want to find it while doing something, right? Something that you care about, right? Something that's been painful before, that's limiting you from enjoying life. So, if we had to tie pain to a goal, I feel like that makes a more complete goal for us. Because if I just said no pain, that's very abstract. We could say you reach no pain at some point in the day, but what if we tied it to something that's important? Wouldn't we have a better goal to direct your plan of care that way? And patient's are like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Bulb. I don't want to just be at the table and feel pain free. I want to be able to go downstairs pain free. Great! All right, we're gonna do one flight of stairs down, pain free. Great. Check mark done. That's our goal. Right? Perfect.
1: So, in our <laughs> next bucket, then, if we reach and yeah. we've reached that goal, right. right now, do we keep them? Right, because we're gonna maintain where they're at. Well,
0: we've reached our goals. Do we need to keep going farther than that? Right. Some people don't discharge as soon as goals are met. So, um, are we on pro? Who's on pro? I'll take pro. Or you do want? Do you want pro? You want to support it?
1: <laughs> Either or.
0: I can argue both. Either
1: all or. right. I'll
0: argue. I'll argue for. Okay. So, um, patient has met all their goals. Right? They were able to do the things. You know, they played a full game of tennis. They carried their grandchild around the park once they, you know, walked the dog. Whatever their goal was, they met them all and they have, you know, you've checked them all off the list. But that patient's like, yeah, I did that once, you know, like I did that, you know, like I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it again. You know, they're not confident they're going to maintain these changes. So these are people who maybe don't have As much self-efficacy yet you know maybe they have a little bit maybe they built it up but it's not all the way there they're like ah you know i feel like we've done some things but i feel like you've definitely helped me get there well what's one of the ways that i can help them build their self-efficacy is i do a model of care for maintenance right we've met goals but can you maintain meeting these goals over a certain period of time how i frequently phrase this i tell my patients hey let's set up a safety net appointment we're not discharging you but we're going to say, like, hey, we're gonna take two weeks off, we're gonna take three weeks off, four weeks off from therapy. You're gonna come back, we're gonna reevaluate again. Did you keep all of these goals met? Did you lose any of them? If you lost some of them, we obviously, you know, have more work to do. If you kept them all, then obviously you're able to take care of them all on your own, ready for discharge. So those are the those are the people that I feel like work well with the kind of maintenance model, the prevention model, though the people who have met their goals but really just don't feel confident that they can keep them because those people, if you just discharge them on that day when they're not confident, they're probably a little bit more likely to bounce back. And, you know, we're trying, well, maybe from a business model, we should be trying to capture those bounce back patients. But I know that several healthcare models are starting to reimburse less and less for patients that bounce back to care quickly, especially in like hospital settings. So, we should be considering that even though, yeah, even in the outpatient world, is that quick bounce bags may be a problem for reimbursement in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point when you're thinking about, oh, should we discharge this episode of care when maybe the episode of care isn't complete yet? Well,
0: of course, it's a good point. I said it.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, really, my only issue with that plan of care type is just the question of, right okay have i been doing a good enough job leading up to that point reinforcing the patient's self-efficacy reinforcing why we're meeting these goals are the goals good enough you know for say we've met all these but the patient's like no i still don't feel good about this I think there's been some breakdown in either communication from us to the patient, their understanding of what the goals were set there for, um and those types of things.
0: yeah, no that's probably right
1: <laughs> if you feel like
0: you're if you feel like the patient is ready for discharge and the patient doesn't feel like they're ready for discharge, you're obviously not aligned anymore, <laughs> so something got messed up along the way. um I agree with that hundred percent it does happen. I don't hit every patient, you know, spot on every time, <laughs> and I often feel like they're ready for. Di- yeah, you know, it's probably going to be the other way around first. I feel like they're ready for discharge before they do, but um, that's besides the point. Okay. Our so what if I want to keep my
1: patient forever?
0: <laughs> so you weren't the you weren't the one to suggest this. Who who suggested this? Who do we have to blame for this? Um, I want a pe- patient.
1: We have patients for life.
0: And discharges
1: are antiquated touch. and I've seen this yep. around you know around the Twitter sphere get rid of that no more discharge that vocabulary word Man. is anxious. my
0: patient caseload is huge it's useless <laughs> if I'm adding adding six people or so a week or more you know in pandemic it's more like six six people a week to my caseload like <laughs> those numbers would get pretty big i my appointment times, I have to get a lot shorter. I have to work a lot more hours. I'm not sure.
1: Now, with this patient for life...
0: You're going to defend it, right? I'm going, going to defend, defend it. it. I'm know.
1: defending it right <laughs> now. I have to defend it. Uh, we should have switched because I would have loved to hear how you defended this. But um, <laughs> I'm going to defend it in that... My ears
0: are burning. thinking about it.
1: We have, uh, within our medical model, the knowledge that episodes of care um, from different pathologies, aches, pains, mental health issues, they're cyclical. We have things that come and go. and When we tell a patient that they're discharged, that they're done, I think that we can uh, set up this expectation that our care is over and that they um, don't shouldn't feel comfortable coming back to us because we've already fixed them. Like, why are you coming back to me again? Obviously, I gave you this home exercise program that you can keep doing, and there's no need for you to come back again. Like, haven't you been doing that? So I think we can set up uh, mm, the wrong uh, expectations from patients and that they can't use this again for our services because we've already, quote-unquote, fixed them. I think also that with uh, discharge of patient care and saying, like, all right, we don't need to see anymore. We under can undersell the value of uh, physical therapy with health promotion and also um, just looking at the person um, from a more holistic perspective. We see this even in other healthcare fields, um, for example, with counseling and things like that. You know, there's people who have uh, mental health issues or struggle with depression or d- things like that, and they'll continue going to that healthcare provider, maybe not every week, maybe not every other week, but they're still going to check in with them. And I think as physical therapists, when we discharge patients, it's easy to say, okay, like I discharged that person three months ago. I haven't talked to them since. I haven't checked in on them. I haven't um, checked to see how they're doing, what's going on. And I think that by, um, you know, setting ourselves up for discharge, we're setting ourselves up to forget about that, that patient and move on now. We all have a certain tank, a certain amount of uh, time in our day, a certain amount of things that we can think about, a certain amount of things, people we can care for, uh, but I don't necessarily think that justifies um, putting patients out of sight and out of mind. So that's my best off-the-cuff argument for why we should keep patients for life.
0: <laughs> all right some good points in there some <laughs> not so good points. all right so i want to talk about our role in health promotion being invaluable disagree there is a value i don't think it's invaluable i think there is a value to it and that value can probably be quantified as a relative cost ratio so we have to we it's hard to do the math because you have to consider you know if we are, as physical therapists, doing the health promotion, right? We're trying to promote long, healthy lifestyles. Is that what we is that what you kind of mean by health promotion? Holistic health promotion?
1: Yeah, I think um, the uh, healthy lifestyle. Crumbling. Yeah, no, that's good. A healthy lifestyle.
0: Right, mm-hmm. right. so telling, teaching them how to live a healthy lifestyle, right? So if we're the ones doing it, there's a financial cost for them seeing yeah. us using our time, our degree level, Um, makes us reimburse at a certain rate, right? And the emotional cost, the mental cost for the patient, the time cost for them seeing us, I would say that there is some value that you can calculate um, and say like, this is the amount of benefit they're getting, which getting, if you provide the education that gets them a long, healthy life, very high benefit, and whatever the cost is, So I'm not gonna argue what the benefit is. What I'm gonna argue is what the cost is because we might not be the most cost-effective strategy to get to long, healthy lifestyle because um, personal trainers, dietetics, nutrition experts, um, life coaches, probably, I don't know for a fact, but from the ones that I do know, tend to reimburse at a lower rate than physical therapists do. They, um, I'm not saying they have a lesser education, but maybe their degrees didn't cost more, and maybe that's why. But, like, they're not as much of a cost to the patient, um, you know, if you're paying out of pocket, if you're paying cash. So if you have the same benefit, long, healthy lifestyle, and a lower cost, then your overall value is actually better. So I don't know if a physical therapist is always the most valuable option. Now, if you make the argument like, hey, while they're getting their rehab services, the physical therapy is the best value for and you provide health promotion within that maybe that's where the value is, the, is better but i don't know if we're always the most valuable for promoting health promotion i think it's one of those stay in your lane kind of things too i do think we have a role in health promotion but i don't think we're always the best option i think sometimes we're the best option just not always
1: I like that. that. Kind of, yeah, and I like that idea of additive value within the treatment that they're getting mm-hmm. versus, you know, trying to justify continuing on and saying, Oh, now I can offer this as well, you know, after yeah, we finish this, this other thing. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, I you have know. I have a hard time saying like, oh, I should keep I should keep this patient because I should be the one who gets them to exercise two to three times a week that I should be the one who monitors their weight, monitors their diet, because there are a lot more cost-effective strategies for doing these things, even just technology-based things, that probably have a very similar um, positive effect on patient lifestyle changes than we would have. You
1: know? Yeah, so I think so, that yeah. leads really well into it's our next
0: just... – oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm not done yet. Yeah, okay. I, I have some other things to say about never discharging, because – if we do that if we continuously make the patient feel like ah my therapist is there for me my therapist cares about me my therapist is always in touch with me always checking in on me i'm never leaving the care of physical therapist you are probably at some point you know for some patients going to develop a bit of a clinical dependence they're going to feel like yes I need to go to therapy at least once a month to check in in order to feel good. And they, that might not be true. And you might be creating a, a need, you know, in the patient that they, you know, you know, like some people tell me like, well, physical what's the, what's the harm of that? You know, because physical therapy doesn't have a lot of negative outcomes, right? it um, If a patient comes to therapy once a month and gets their back rubbed for a little while and that makes them you know, healthier, that makes them um, feel less pain or um, report better satisfaction scores. Like, isn't that fine? Well, no, it's not it's because we're healthcare providers and we're not a service industry. We need to be thinking about what are our interventions? What are we choosing? Are we doing things that are actually benefiting our patients or are we just creating a dependence on something? I don't want to ever have that ethical conundrum of am I just wasting this patient's time, money and mental like resources just to convince them that they're feeling better when really something if when really if I could get them the self efficacy, the confidence to be independent and not feel like they need to be part of PT, wouldn't that be better for them in the long run? I don't want patients to feel like we're kicking them out, we're giving them the boot, we never want to see them again. I share my personal cell phone number with every patient at discharge, you know, so that we can stay in contact. But uh, I never, ever, ever have had a patient that I've said, like, you know what, we should just keep coming back for the rest of your life (laughs) Just just to work on these things. Can I caveat that, though? Yes. I never have a discharge visit, never do, I never plan, on my schedule, we have a color code for discharge visit, I never use it, because I never know when the discharge visit is going to be, because um, every every time that I think a discharge is getting close, I do a progress note, I do a reevaluation, and I test all these things, I measure all these things, and if we get to the point, so this is another one of my bits. Right, so here, your patient talking at you, right? So, oh, um, we've we've seen subjective improvement. You told me that you're feeling better. You told me that the things that you care to do, you're able to do again, the pain-free, right? Subjective improvement's a good thing. Also, we did these measures. We te- did these tests, we measured these strengths, we measured these range of emotions, did these tests. And those are doing better. So, objective improvement too. So, you have subjective improvement, you have objective improvement. And then we looked at your goals and your goals. Oh, ooh, we checked all these off. Look at these goals that we wrote on the first day. We checked those off. Those goals we wrote on the last progress note. We made some new ones. We checked those off too. So, now we've had subjective improvement. We've had objective improvement. We've met all your goals. Where do we go from here? I see a couple of different options for us. I think that we can either graduate from pt i think that's one path we can go down i feel like if we don't feel confident ready to to discharge from pt yet maybe we need to set up a little safety net appointment maybe we need to come back just once more just to make sure you can maintain all these things on your own what do you think so i (laughs) i don't know it's going to be a discharge until after i've done all those things (laughs) till after you Until after I've evaluated the patient, because again, like, how do you know discharge is ready until you test the patient, right? I don't know. Crazy. Well,
1: that that discharge visit is kind of like that, you know, third option, or no, I should say the second option, the third party, the third party, the third party option.
0: Sure, yes. I mean, (laughs) when I have a note from my front office saying, like, this is patient's last authorized visit, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's a different story. Excellent. Okay. Well that was a lot.
1: But it was it was good. It was a lot of good stuff. Any other good stuff for us, Andy? Uh about No, I
0: think I I think this discharge. uh this podcast episode is ready for discharge.
1: Oh, because <laughs> we've gone over our allotted time. I don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: <For>
0: sure. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. I hope you had a little extra free time on your hands to make it to the end of this one. <laughs>
1: Uh, there's a traffic jam. You're stuck in. It's all good, you know.
0: Um, well, I think the, I miss.
1: Oh, what were you, oh, your what do you miss? No, 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 You go ahead. You go no, ahead. No. 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 <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I <laughs> don't need to say. go into more tangents. more tangents. No more tangents. I say I think the last bit that you talked about segues well into our next discussion topic, Uh which oh,
0: we're we going to talk about next month.
1: So next month on the Twitter sphere we'd love to hear all your thoughts, all the thoughts about um cash-based versus insurance-based reimbursement and if that changes how you practice, if it should change how you practice, how you treat, what treatments you provide, what patients you see, all those types of things. Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. It's Justin Bieber who stares I mean, back at me in yeah, my Skype what camera, were you,
0: what, were you mean? what were you waiting for me to say? You know? like, <laughs> were you waiting for me to bucket the idea of cash-based therapy?
1: I was. <laughs> I was.
0: So no, that sounds good. I, I I definitely have my own thoughts. I've never actually practiced in cash-based therapy, so I would definitely appreciate another great engagement. From our cash-based people, like a uh, Mr. James Spencer. If you're looking for a PT to follow on Twitter, who uh, you know knows a little bit about cash-based um, physical therapy, James Spencer. His uh, Twitter tag is hobohealth <laughs> at Hobo health. Which is interesting. Maybe there's a story behind that. Maybe we'll share. Maybe we'll have them as a guest host. I want to have a guest on some one of these shows. Can we have a guest at some point? Are we allowed to invite people?
1: We can.
0: Oh. Just not another old white guy. <laughs> we might need to mix it up a little bit.
1: Diversity. It's a good thing.
0: Always a good thing. All right. Well, sounds good, Matt. I'm excited for January's discussion on insurance-based physical therapy versus cash-based physical therapy. Is it different?
1: Is it different? All right. Until then, Andy, signing off. Au revoir.